New Vision is a church that places high value on Scripture. The Bible is made up of 66 books, and in this next portion, we're going to be going through a few of those books as a church family. We hope this tool encourages you and equips you to lead your life well. Thank you for joining us today. Hey guys, thanks for uh, clicking in today's podcast. Uh, We are in the Advent season and looking at some select passages that will really help us understand who this baby Jesus uh, that we celebrate, who he is. Uh, My name is Ray Moss. I'm one of the pastors here at New Vision. Uh, Hopefully it gives us, uh, looking at these passages, gives us even more reason and, and even depth to our worship of him. And when I say worship, we, we're really speaking of far more than just attending church or watching online each week, which obviously is very important. What we worship is what controls our lives. It really sets our priorities, builds our values, and really even gives us purpose. So uh, let's look at the first passage today from Mark ten forty five. I'm reading from the ESV today. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, Jesus' response is is to all the disciples, but it really began with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They they really wanted position and power, and really from their relationship with Jesus. Most likely, they thought they deserved that for their service. So, So Jesus quickly lets them know that, first of all, you're really not capable to drink the cup that I'm, I'm about to drink or be baptized with the baptism which I will receive. He's, he really, he's speaking of his suffering that is to come. He speaks of the sacrifice, the atonement for sins he'll pay for, the justification or setting right our sinful lives. James and John, not only can you not do this work, but you are sorely, sorely missing what I'm about. Then Jesus makes the great statement that, must have sent them all reeling. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The suffering servant, as the prophet Isaiah spoke of, this world system of rulers ruling over others, the power to exercise authority, all all for personal gain, this is, he says, this is not for you. Those who are great in the kingdom of God must be servants also, or must be slave of all. That didn't, you know, that didn't play well then. It doesn't play well today. In these days of Advent, we're reminded that Jesus is the suffering servant. And his ministry and disciples will be marked as well as with this, this same humble value. Uh, I found this uh, prayer in a book by Chuck Swindoll. Uh, the author's unknown, but I think it kind of illustrates what we all incur. He, this is what he said. He said, I am like James and John. Lord, I size up other people in terms of what they can do for me, how they can further my program, feed my ego, satisfy my needs, give me strategic advantage. I exploit people ostensibly for their sake, for for our sake, but really for my own sake. Uh, Lord, I turn to you to get the inside track and obtain special favors your direction for my schemes, your power for my projects, your sanction for my ambitions, your blank check for whatever I want. I am like James and John. Change me, Lord. Make me a man who asks of you and of others, what can I do for you? You know, servanthood starts in the heart. 
with a simple prayer of these words, change me, Lord. Jesus, like, Jesus' life of serving was was really the outworking of his mind unsqueezed by the world system in all of its selfishness and remain forever our example to follow. You know, as Paul will challenge us to even greater degree in this next passage, uh, we're going to read from Philippians 2, and I'm going to back up all the way to verse 1 and through 11, and this is a, a passage we're all very, very familiar with, again, reading from the ESV. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So Paul uh, challenges the believer uh, that if we are indeed in Christ and participate with the Spirit that lives in us, that we'll have the same mind, the same love, being full accord and of one mind. Now, twice in this verse, and again in verse 5, it's clear that the work of a believer is the renewing of the mind that Paul will tell us even in, back in Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. Most people will agree that the soul or the psyche is made up of the mind, will, and emotions. It is the will that God gives us that sets the mind either away from truth or directs us to truth. It's the truth that sets us free. Emotions are God-given, but they follow what the mind believes and trusts. So Paul understands that for the Spirit to work in us and through us, we must renew the mind from what we have allowed the world to form in us. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, not, not refurbished, but transformed in full, full accord in one mind, and that is the mind of Christ himself. So it all begins in the mind, doesn't it? Thinking always precedes acting, right? It really, uh, it really is impossible to grasp the concept of serving others or to carry it out with joy without fear until our minds are freed from, from really what the world's mold is and transformed by the Lord's power. I move away from selfish ambition or conceit. I humble myself because I no longer have to protect myself or promote myself. I'm now free to see others uh, as really as Christ sees them. Now, this, this is a radical change. It comes, comes with this new birth, this new nature, this new identity, uh, and belonging to God's family. I am a child of God whose mind is being transformed. Now, verse 5 once again says that we have this, that says, have this mind among yourselves. But look carefully at the last part of the sentence. It says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
It is already there. When Christ comes into our life, we have this new nature, and the mind of Christ is ours. So when we act selfishly, we're not living out of our true identity. We're no longer a slave to that old way, but we are slaves to righteousness now. Then we see this humble servant God who chose not to take advantage of his position with God. So he humbles himself, emptied himself, steps down from heaven, and takes the form of a servant, even being born in the likeness of man, born in a stinky manger. He's willing to give up what was and should be rightfully his in order to really fulfill God's purpose for us all. Just, just think about what servanthood meant for Jesus. Emptying himself or giving up his rights, willing to be weakened, his right to possessions, they even cast lots for his remaining clothes, his rights to be loved, to be rescued from his father, allowing himself to be humiliated by being stripped naked. You know, I have yet to find in Scripture where Jesus demands his rights to anything because that is the position of a servant, isn't it? But the story doesn't end there, does it? As we look in verse 9, it says, Because of his obedience to serve and suffer, God highly exalts him and bestowed on him the name above all names, Jesus Christ the Lord, through the glory of God. And Paul says, This is the mind you'll have as a believer. Let this mind be in you as it is in Christ Jesus. The same mind, the one mind. Praise God for a Savior that turns the world system upside down. A Savior that comes to us as a child in a manger to two very simple, ordinary Jewish men and women, but obedient to the hand of God to be used. I, I think about turning the world upside down. I love that old Puritan prayer. It says, uh, Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. You know, like the man's prayer earlier, I, I'm like James and John, but Father, change me Change me, Lord. Make me a man who asks of you and of others, what can I do for you? Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit in us as believers that encourages and convicts us to allow this mind of Christ to be our mind. Thank you for a Savior who, can, who came to serve and not to be served. Well, thanks today for listening, and I hope you have a great, wonderful day, and I hope you stay tuned in to uh, this Advent Messages. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow as we hop back into God's Word.